Primary Care Knowledge Boost Podcast 8, Contraception Part 2. Welcome back to Primary Care Knowledge Boost. I'm Dr. Sarah McDermott. And I'm Dr. Lisa Adams. And today we have part two of our two episodes with Dr. Jacqueline Gatenby on contraception. If you missed the first episode, we would recommend listening before this one. So in this episode, we cover quick starting pills, postnatal and breastfeeding considerations for contraception, as well as contraception around perimenopause. So we go straight into a question about starting contraception. I don't suppose, would you mind just going through the length of time that people need to either abstain or use um, barrier methods um, for just pills and normal contraception? (laughs) So when you're starting a woman on a a form of hormone contraception or you're switching her over from one to another, um, really what the important thing is to think about is have we stopped ovulation mm-hmm. with the with the either what they've been using already and obviously we haven't if they've not been on anything yeah. um so for combined pills for mirena coils for implants for depo if she's ovulating normally mm-hmm. so that's either if she's not on anything or she's on a cop has a copper iud or she has she's on the progesterone only pill mm-hmm. the traditional progesterone only pill because obviously the more the newer one actually does inhibit ovulation then you need to use seven days um, with either abstention or using um, barrier methods Mm -hmm. if you're starting a POP Mm -hmm. um, then you only need to wait two days Clara which is the new pill I talked about previously um, because that varies the amount of hormone in its daily dosing it takes nine days Right, okay. um, so that's just interesting to know yeah. if you're deciding to start someone on that. Yeah, yeah. But mainly, it, as I say, it's seven days or two days for the POP. Okay. Switching over. So if you're mm-hmm. switching over from one combined pill to another combined pill, mm-hmm. if you don't have any hormone-free interval, so you finish your pack of pills, you might be due to start your hormone-free interval. But if you start the new pill the next day, you don't need to use any. Brilliant. extra precautions okay. yeah. if you have an implant in and you're switching say to a combined contraceptive from an implant if the implant's in date mm-hmm. then you can swap over to the combined pill without any need for further precautions because if your ovulation is being inhibited it takes seven days for it to stop being inhibited. Mm-hmm. But by the time that's happened, the combined pills kicked we'll in. in yeah. Yeah. So that's Brilliant. why you don't need to do okay. that. Yeah, that Mirena's is a little bit different because we, we're not sure how much it inhibits ovulation. Yeah. Um, so you do need to use, um, set, you need seven days precautions if you're com- switching over to a combined pill okay. with that. Yeah. Um, and it's always important to remember that when you're removing a coil, if the woman has had... Um, sex in the last seven days really you should probably leave it in for seven days yeah you can you can start your new form of contraception if you want to um but mm. it would leave her at risk of pregnancy if you took the coil out and she'd had sex in yeah. the in the previous because the sperm can yeah, live for that indeed long. yeah yeah you mentioned a bit earlier about quick starting people on the pill um can you talk to us a little bit about what that is yeah, so recently there's been a sort of change as to when we advise women to um, either have a form of contraception fitted or when to start taking pills. Um, mm. And traditionally, we used to tell people to wait until the first day of their next period. Mm. And clearly, 
that is difficult for a number of reasons. Some women are, are then at risk of pregnancy between that consultation and the start of their next period. Yeah. Um, and also sometimes when you've got somebody in who's said, yes, I'm happy to have an implant or an IUS or an IUD, and then you book them further down the line, they either don't come back or so you're not grabbing the moment. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, especially in younger people, that is a moment to actually get it done. Yeah. Um, so there is advice and guidance now on quick starting, um, which the FSRH has published in the last few years. We can start a contraception straight away if we can be reasonably sure that a woman is not pregnant. Mm -hmm. So we can be reasonably sure that a woman isn't pregnant if she is within the first five days of a normal menstrual period. Mm -hmm. If she hasn't had any unprotected sex since her last normal menstrual period. Mm -hmm. If she has a negative pregnancy test and it has been three weeks or more since her last episode of unprotected sex. If she's been using contraception consistently and correctly since her last menstrual period, we can assume that she's not pregnant. If a woman is fully breastfeeding, she's within six months of delivery and is amenorrheic, we can assume she is not pregnant okay so in all those circumstances we can quick start we don't need to wait until Mm -hmm. um, the start of her next period if you want to quick start and she is at risk of pregnancy in the last 21 days Mm -hmm. and it obviously it is too early to do a pregnancy test to rule out pregnancy from that episode of unprotected sex Mm There are some methods that you can quick start because there is no evidence that exposing a fetus to the hormones within those hormonal contraceptive methods have any adverse effect. Right. Mm -hmm. So you can start the combined pill. You can start an implant. You can start progesterone-only pill. What you can't do unless it fulfills the criteria for using a copper IUD as emergency contraception, you can't fit coils unless you're absolutely sure that somebody isn't pregnant. Mm -hmm. Um, However, what you need to do, if you're going to quick start somebody, you need to be very clear that the rules for extra precautions for the next seven days or two days, depending on what it is, they need to adhere to that. So they need to do a pregnancy test three weeks from the last episode Mm -hmm. of um, unprotected intercourse. And if they then don't adhere to the abstention from sex or using barrier methods in the time it takes for that contraceptive method to kick in then they need to do a pregnancy test from that time as well yeah gotcha um so thinking about the um the contraceptions with other medications are there any considerations we need to have about other things that they're on that might inhibit yeah them working so that will be part obviously of your you know your initial consultation um about contraception really important to take a drug history the Certainly hormonal contraception in terms of oral contraception Mm -hmm. or the patch or the ring Mm -hmm. and the implant in some instances Mm -hmm. um, is affected by enzyme-inducing drugs. And there are obviously, there are quite a lot of those and it probably isn't the place to go through each one individually. But you're probably, your your common ones are your anti-epileptic drugs and that includes your carbamazepine, um, phenytoin, to pyramate, which is interesting, it's an anti-epileptic drug, but increasingly being used for headache, for management yeah. of headache. Yeah. So uh, there are quite a lot of young women on to pyramate. Yeah. So that yeah. is important. 
there are your antibacterials which really only include things like rifampicin which you know are sort of your very unusual antibacterial drugs Mm -hmm. your antiretrovirals which obviously are very important for women who are hiv positive Mm -hmm. and will probably be taking some of those drugs um over the counter st john's wort is an enzyme inducer and there are there's another one that's actually been frequently cited recently, which is modafinil, mm. which is a amphetamine-based drug, which apparently recently has been in vogue for taking to improve exam oh. performance. Oh, right. um, so it is important to ask women yeah. about whether, because they probably won't, um, they might not tell you that yeah. they're taking that. Yeah. So all those drugs are enzyme inducers and therefore mm. will reduce the effectiveness of your combined oral contraceptive pill. Yeah. Um, there are ways around it sometimes of increasing the dose of the combined pill but in reality i think we're much better saying to women that actually the ius the iud and the depot injection do not have any interaction with any of those so i think the conversation should be around what we need to do instead yeah exactly um there are other drugs that are not particularly enzyme inducers lamotrigine for example which we know has an effect on the combined pill and the combined pill has an effect on the lamotrigine. Mm-hmm. So seizure control can be affected because it makes the combined pill reduces the effectiveness of lamotrigine. Right. And uh, therefore you may get more seizures in women that are taking that for epilepsy. Mm. And when you have a hormone free interval, the lamotrigine can reach toxic levels because you're not taking the pill anymore. Oh. So that's quite yes. dangerous as well. Um, mm. So again, yeah. I think it's about avoiding taking the two of those really yeah um so the implant can't be used with enzyme inducing medications but actually it doesn't have any effect on lamotrigine so it's safe to use with lamotrigine okay yeah good to know thank you yeah the there are so many drugs and so many um other interactions with hormonal oral contraceptives which there's too many to to talk about really what's important is ones that reduce obviously the efficacy of the combined pill but there are other drugs where the combined pill will have an effect on those and there's a big list of those i reference usually stockley's drug interaction checker okay um which is obviously um, available online and it's really really up to date so um i would recommend anyone if if somebody is on a drug that you're worried about then it's worth just looking at that checking lovely that's good thank you yeah that's really good yeah Uh, the other thing to mention is the oliprisol acetate l1 that people use for emergency contraception it's a progesterone receptor modulator and therefore if you take it with other progesterones it will affect the effectiveness of your UPA. So it will reduce the chance of it working if you're taking it for emergency contraception. Mm -hmm. So the advice is to wait five days after giving Ella one Mm -hmm. to start something um, for ongoing contraception. Um, So that can be a bit of a pain if you're wanting to quick start um, at the time because you can't really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you'd mentioned different types of contraception and I know when we spoke before you, you talked to us through a bit about breastfeeding and contraception would you mind sort of talking us, to us about that? Of course um, so there has been a recent change to the um, guidance on breastfeeding and the combined hormonal contraception we used to say that you shouldn't start combined hormonal contraception if you're breastfeeding until your six months post delivery Mm -hmm. Um, but that has now changed and you can take it 
after six weeks. Okay. If if that's what a woman would like to do. I think there there isn't a lot of evidence that your milk production is reduced by taking the combined pill. So that's it's a UK MEC two. Okay. Um to take the combined pill after six weeks. If you're breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. Lovely. Um, and the progesterone-only pill, that's so always all, been... all progesterone-only yeah. um, contraceptives are absolutely fine with breastfeeding. Lovely, yep. And I know that the coil, they can insert that right at, at delivery, can't they? Yes. Yeah, so um, within 48 hours, you can have either coil fitted, mm-hmm. and that is being done in some hospitals, mm-hmm. um, although I haven't seen it particularly um, in this area. Mm-hmm. Um but between 48 hours and four weeks, then it's not advisable to fit a either coil. Yeah. Um, so you have to wait until your four weeks postnatal to have one of those fitted. Um. And the FSRH have done a relatively recent update of the UK MEC. So it's mm-hmm. really worth, if you look at the summary pages of that, it's a really useful reference tool. Mm-hmm. If you're concerned that you're not sure if somebody should have um, a certain form of contraception yeah. from a safety point of view. Perfect. We'll put a link to that in the episode description so everyone can access that yeah, as well. Brilliant. That's a good idea. Um, so I think the mm-hmm. final thing is talking around um, contraception in older women um, kind of reaching the menopause because yeah. that can sometimes cause a bit of difficulty both with what we can give them and with how we can detect the menopause. Yeah. Um, if we maybe start with what we what, what contraception we can use in that time frame, what's contraindicated and what's safe to use. Okay. So if we look at combined pill, mm-hmm. um, that is safe to use as long as there are no other risk factors up to the age of 50. Okay. Which I think surprises some people because I think a lot of women yeah. are told you need to come off that, you know, even yeah. in their 30s, I think some women are told. <laughs> I mean, obviously there are other reasons why you can't take the combined pills, yeah. smoking obviously being one, yeah. and other risk factors obviously for VTE and AT. So... Um, you, you need to look at the woman as a whole, obviously. Yeah. But if there's no if there's no contraindications, they're fine to take it up to the age of fifty, mm-hmm. as is depo. Right. Yeah. But mm-hmm. after fifty, it's recommended that women change to something different, um, apart from depo or combined pill. Okay. So implants, Mirena's, copper IUD, progesterone only pills are perfectly safe to take up to the age of fifty five, and it's okay to say to women at the age of fifty five, you can stop all contraception because conception at that age is really 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 rare okay um so it's safe to advise people that they can just stop at 55 so 55 is the number yeah okay mm-hmm. um and then thinking around um kind of being able to diagnose the menopause in this kind of period yeah. it does get trickier because if people are on a type of hormonal contraception that they're not bleeding absolutely um so menopause um usually should be diagnosed with symptoms Mm -hmm. but obviously it is tricky sometimes if people are taking um, hormonal contraception because the symptom obviously of missing periods is you you can't judge that if somebody's on a hormonal contraception because they're not having proper periods anyway yeah so if somebody is taking combined hormonal contraceptive then doing an FSH level is pointless because yeah. the FSH levels are already low because you're taking the combined pill. Yeah. Um, so it won't be accurate. But with the other forms of contraception, you could do an FSH level okay. if you wanted to, if you were unsure whether somebody was, was menopausal. Yeah. The rules for um, contraception and menopause are if somebody isn't taking any contraception at all, um, they need to use contraception after 12 months amenorrhea, after the age of 50, mm-hmm. you can stop contraception. Okay. If you're under 50, 
you, you need to wait two years of amenorrhea. Okay. Um, and then you can stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but obviously most women are going to continue sort of hormonal forms into their 50s, really. Yeah. And the benefits of, say, the Mirena is that we know that we can use that as the progesterone arm of HRT. Yeah. A caveat to that is that it does need changing every five years if you're going to do that. Mm-hmm. Because if you're not on HRT, your Mirena fitted at the age of 45 onwards can stay in until you're 55. Okay. But not if you're using it as your progesterone for HRT. Mm. Yeah. That makes sense because the progesterone is going to wear out. Wear out again, Indeed. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. You, you need that endometrial protection. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. it does need changing. Yeah. I think I think the difficulty is just if you've got somebody who's say 48 going through menopause if they weren't on contraception they'd be able to maybe stop the hormonal treatments and things at 50 technically so then carrying on to 55 feels like such a much longer time but yeah knowing that we can maybe check the FSH if we're in that sort of situation yeah, you, you can ch- check the FSH again it's not the most it's not a brilliant blood test because no. even if it's normal it doesn't mean you, symptoms are really important and mm. if somebody's having night sweats hot flushes you know the usual things associated with menopause you know I think that's a much better predictor of whether they're perimenopausal Um, so yeah I mean combined hormonal contraception actually can be pretty useful because Mm. it's given you estrogen so women who with no contraindications can actually do quite well with combined hormonal Mm. contraception up to the age of 50 if they are perimenopausal because it will help with menopausal Mm. symptoms yeah that's true yeah yeah. Good. Yeah. Sometimes I get people in and we're having a conversation about long acting contraception and I talk to them about coils and there's a lot of concerns there because often people know a friend that's had a bad experience. Generally, do you, do you have a sort of way of talking to people about that? I think it's a really tricky thing um, because people are very, very influenced, aren't they, by family and friends, especially yeah. mums, grandmas, that sort of thing. I mean, as an aside, I think we need, really need to improve our sex education really and contraceptive education for young people mm. um, because I'm I'm honestly amazed at, at some of the myths that are still out there even with young people yeah. and I know it doesn't help they've often got older people you know giving them sort of stories of various things that might have happened to them yeah. but you know that's our responsibility I think for, for giving them the correct information yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah coils I one of the things I think puts people off coils is they can't really imagine what it looks like um, so yeah. it's a really good idea I, I always show people what a coil looks like and and more often than not they'll look at it and and sort of go oh my is, is that it you know is that <laughs> I, did, I thought it's going to be I think they think it's going to be some massive big metal kind of yeah. you know Traption yes like, exactly yeah. some sort of medieval thing yeah. and that can sometimes persuade them um I think really pushing the the benefits of coils, you know, because with Mirena's, I mean, as as we said before, actually, you you know, your bleeding pattern can be really favourable. You know, a few days of bleeding, you know, here and there, most women would would love. Especially women that have heavy periods, you know, they'll probably bite your hand off. So um, copper coils are a little bit different, aren't they? Because it can cause heavier periods and some people can't, don't like that, don't want to tolerate that. Um, But they are, I mean, it's a really good form of contraception. And both of those forms of contraception are are also very good for teenagers you know the again myths and you know probably old-fashioned practice was that we didn't use to fit coils in women that hadn't had babies Mm. um which there was no real evidence behind that that they're any more difficult to fit i mean i can speak from personal experience they're no more difficult to fit yeah um so 
it is definitely an option for younger people too. Okay. Yeah. And copper coils, as we know, you know, is first line for emergency contraception. So if we yes. can persuade a young person to have a copper coil if they're requiring emergency contraception, then them all well and good because then they don't need to worry about quick starting anything. You just got a coil in and then you're done really yeah. until you decide either to have it out or it's, it runs out in ten years. Mm. Yeah, which is great, isn't it? Yeah. Ten years of contraception. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is that all copper coils? Are ten years? Um, not all of them, yeah. um, but the gold standard coil that we use is the, the T-Safe QL, and that is the one that we use and we've used for a long time, and that is a 10-year one. But, you know, you're right. There are some coils that are five-year. Yeah. So it is important, obviously, to find out what coil they've had fitted. Yeah. But the one we've used for years is the 10-year is the one. Um, so, yeah, you mentioned the FSRH guidelines. Yeah. Um, do you have any other resources that you find useful for primary care? Um, they are definitely my go-to and they have very good, concise guidance for all matters contraceptive-wise. Um, everything that you can think of. And as I said before, they have recently updated quite a lot. So it's definitely worth having a look on their website. Um, and you can easily just download any, you know, any particular... Um, so if you were interested in looking at the latest the UK MEC changes, yeah. um, you can just get that online without actually... And downloading that, you know, it's free and easy to do. Fantastic. Okay. We're just going to ask you, so it's um, easier around sort of where we are in Hindley. We kind of know whereabouts to refer people in for long-acting contraception. Quite easy for us. Do you have any idea about sort of generally in Wigan or...? I mean, in our local SDF, I know that we are the only practice who do fit um, implants and coils. And so we're in the process of trying to um, share our resource really with the members of our SDF. Mm-hmm. When I asked the, um, you know, it's very hard for some practices because they're very small and you have one or two doctors. Yeah. Um, and they told me that they often just signpost people to either the family planning clinics, mm-hmm. which I think are reducing in number. Um, but also to Spectrum in the centre of Wigan, um, where people can get provision of LARC. Yeah, and I know in my SCF Sullivan Way do have a yes. kind of outpost of that family planning as well so they they fit yeah. them as well Good. Um, um so i think that's all the questions we had for you was there anything else you wanted to add or anything particular you want people to take away from today i think i would say that i think we've worked really hard at trying to explain to women you know and to health professionals that unplanned pregnancy really is completely avoidable mm-hmm. um but women need to have a good choice of contraception something that suits them and a good explanation of um, how it works and, you know, and to reassure them that they can come back at any time if it goes wrong. Don't stop it and, you know, put yourself at risk of pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, you know, pushing larks, I think, as first line has been a, a big change and has worked really well in reducing unplanned pregnancies, mm-hmm. especially in younger people. Yeah. yeah. Fabulous. Lovely. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much. That was a great. Pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> So thanks so much to Dr. Gayton B about that absolutely amazing talk on contraception. Um, it was very comprehensive. There was a lot in there, wasn't there, Sarah? Yeah, there's when we're sort of talking about our learning points, there's so many things that um, I really enjoyed. Um, the differences between the different combined pills was really useful. And everything about unscheduled bleeding is now so much clearer to me. Yeah, exactly. And also going through the um, menopause considerations with when it comes to contraception um, was, was excellent as well. So yeah. that's a bit clearer in my head too. So thank you to those of you that have given us your feedback. It's really interesting to hear your thoughts on the podcast. 
Yeah, and um, we've taken on board people's suggestions for some future episodes. Um, we're going to be releasing some around gynecology and menopause, um, as well as hematology. And we're also thinking about doing a paediatric episode about allergy and feeding. Some people suggested having longer episodes, which was very nice. Um, we'll try to add some variety to the lengths to suit everybody. If you want to have a say in the rest of the episodes, the best way is through our short survey. Um, the link is on the episode description. Um, or you can also get in touch with us on Twitter at PCKB Podcast or via email at primarycarepodcasts at gmail.com. Brilliant. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time. On Primary Care Knowledge Boost. Hey guys, just a friendly reminder that these podcasts are for healthcare professional education and shouldn't be used for medical advice by the general public. They were recorded in Wigan in 2019. Guidelines can vary by location as well as over time, so always check for up-to-date local and national guidelines before making treatment decisions. The content is based on our interviewee's opinion and interpretation of current best practice. It's your responsibility to use your clinical judgment before applying or relying on information solely from this podcast. Check out the show notes for full details and any links we've mentioned in the episode.